Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Welcome to the podcast today. Today, we are talking about Tremors, God awakening, striking faith, how he chooses ordinary girls to become fearless, influential kingdom leaders, and ordinary boys to become bold, impactful kingdom generals. How does God do this? And what role do you and I play in becoming people who possess striking faith, people who are fearless, influential kingdom leaders, or bold, impactful kingdom generals? These are questions I really want the answers to, and I'm hoping that you do too. So I was trying to think how I would structure this uh, before we get to the example from Scripture. The first point that came to my mind is that we have to have an acceptance of who we are. Have you ever heard the popular adage that the first step towards recovery is to admit that you have a problem? (laughs) Understanding that you, me, and really all of humanity are selfish and self-seeking by nature is key to possessing a striking faith God can mold for his purpose. How do we know this for sure? We see it in scripture. Psalm 51, 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 5, 12, these are just three places. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Historically speaking, if we just narrow the scope to the people of God, even they tended to lean towards selfish wants and desires and away from the obedience to God. Moses was given all the instruction and law for how the people were to live in obedience to God. God also told him that the people would become unfaithful. The people were instructed to seek the Lord with all of their heart to hold fast to him and God would would in turn go before them, defeat their enemies, give them victory, make their crops grow exceedingly well. Everything was going to be glorious. But if they instead followed other gods like the cultures around them and started embracing the practices of the people they were going to live around and just sort of blend in with them, he would not bless them in that way. Joshua reiterates that after the death of Moses and he is leading the people to conquer the promised land. After all of his dealings with him in chapter 24 tells them they will not be able to hack it. Uh, God's too holy for them. And the people argue with him and they retort, yes, we can and we will. So Joshua makes them put some conviction into it. having them make an official covenant with God in verse 24. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and his voice we will obey. Well, everything goes well for a while. Enters Judges 2.10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Well, we could just move on with the pressing problem of the day. The example that I want to get to, but we really need to stop and ask the question, why not? Why didn't this generation know the Lord? You mean they didn't know anything that he'd done for them? Their parents knew it? It's not like it was some far off fairy tale. Their parents had walked across the Jordan on dry land, for heaven's sakes. They had experienced for 
firsthand the miracles, and you're telling me they didn't tell the stories? Why didn't they know? When the Israelites went into these territories, their cities were established. They didn't have to start from scratch. That was the beauty of it. But they weren't obedient and they didn't trust God. Instead of taking over, they just moved into town. And town was a lot better, in their opinion. In the communities, you were now trying to assimilate. They abandoned the Lord, is what Judges 2 tells us. So the anger of the Lord was kindled and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And they were in terrible distress. And then this cycle begins that we find in verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. So I think that first thing is to accept who we are, that we are fallen and we tend toward disobedience. And because of that, we are going to live in our circumstances. That would be the second thing. This does not catch God by surprise, by the way. It's such a beautiful picture of what we are called to live out today. Their sin was great. They were sort of lying in the proverbial bed that they had made. Therefore, they're simply required to live in what they had been handed. Anybody else find themselves in a situation like that today? Anyone been handed a situation that you did not create and now you're chin deep in it, barely holding your head above water? You did not get yourself there. This was was not your idea, but here you are, forced to live in circumstances you did not create. Instead, it's what you've been handed. That's what the people of God were doing, and God tested them. Who do you love the most? What are you going to do in this situation? That's really what he's asking, because he loved us first, and our life is about learning to respond to that love in the middle of whatever, in the midst of any and all sorts of junk. They were called to live out their faith in the midst of a corrupt culture as well we are. This is the same requirement he asked of believers in the New Testament to live in the world but not be of the world. Here is where I believe it hits home for you and me. You and I are living in what has been deemed the last Christian generation. The number of teenagers who are leaving the church after graduation and never coming back are higher than ever before and frankly staggering. Not only that, if you just look around, my entire neighborhood minus a couple of families is completely de-churched. The amount of loss and hurt and decomposition of the family and domestic disturbances occurring
occurring within spitting distance of me is a reflection of this movement. Why is that? Well, I think there's multiple reasons, but at least three could be the same three reasons that it happened then. One is it's my generation. My generation has not been faithful to be different at all costs. Leviticus called the people to be holy and set apart. The same verses that called the Israelites to be holy applies to believers today. Christ, yes, paid for my sin, but God remains a holy God who is just and righteous, and He calls us to live differently than those around us. Whose fault was it the children didn't know? The ones who'd been given the responsibility to teach them. So part of the responsibility and reasons for this is my generation, the generation that is before the current one, and it's not their personal belief. The generation in place now that's leaving the church, it's not their personal belief or experience, so they do not embrace it. It's not real to them. It's not your personal belief or experience, so you do not embrace it. It's not real to you. It was the same with the Israelites. So the next step is pretty straightforward. They embrace the culture and abandon their Christian heritage, deciding the world really is better. This is really a lame hobby if you think about it. If you're just going to embrace Christianity and Christ following as a hobby, it's pretty lame. I suggest you find another hobby if that's all you're going to do. And it was sort of the same there. So it's pretty close step. After that, live in the world and not be of it would be the next step to possessing a faith that is striking. John 17 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus praying to the Father, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. That's where we get that phrase, live in the world, but be not of the world. We are called to live in the world, but not be of the world. That sounds very spiritual and true. I heard it another way because I'm a little more simple-minded than that. And it makes a lot more sense to me. I, I live within spitting distance of the ocean. I see hundreds and hundreds of yachts and fishing boats daily. And I just get to feel that breeze in my face. I can go down to the pier get in a boat and be on top of the ocean. And technically I'm in the ocean. But if I were to start taking on water inside my boat, I would begin to become part of the ocean. I would begin to sink and it would only be a matter of time. Let's assume for a minute that we're all doing something like that. We're all in boats on the ocean. We are on the ocean, but we're not of the ocean. We're in it, but not of it. But we start looking at that water longingly. Ooh, we want to be in that water. So we take on a little here. We put a little there inside the boat. But the more water we take in, the more we start looking more like the ocean and less like a boat floating on top. And pretty soon, two things happen. We become completely indistinguishable from the ocean. And second thing that happens is we drown. <laughs> In Christianity, what that looks like is we become completely indistinguishable from the world and ineffective for Christ. And we drown per se. You and I are faced with living in what we've been handed by the generations that came before us, but it matters what we do with it. God can take dark circumstances and garbage heaps of ruins and generations of negative cycles and anything that we've ended up landing ourselves into and turn everything around for his kingdom purposes using ordinary grace.
girls and boys of any age and through any season. This is the setting, the current situation where we find our leading lady today. I want to take you to a very dark part of scripture that probably relates more to us today than than we might want to think. I want to take you to Judges 4 verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herothsheth, Haguyim. They, the people of Israel, cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Picture a male-dominated society that has completely abandoned the Lord. No man hears from the Lord. There is no word from the Lord. There is no priest. There's no minister, no BBS, no Sunday schools going on. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. Deborah is living in a godless culture, probably worse than it is today. And maybe she looks around, looks at all the boats in our illustration that are sinking and starting to look a lot like the ocean. And she thinks, I don't think I want to do that. I might want to do something different. She doesn't say what they say. She doesn't do what they do. Instead, she thinks, maybe I'm going to think about what has worked in the past. And she tunes her ears to something different. Instead, she listens to the Lord and he speaks to her. You see, that's the definition of a prophet. A prophet would get a word from the Lord and it would come true. She's just a girl who listened. And then something remarkable happens because people know this about her. She is a girl who listens and God speaks to her and it comes true. Something happens. Verse 6, she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out to Sarah, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hands. Barak says to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you were going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. So what happens is this guy is called through Deborah by the Lord to go charge as a general to take the Lord's people into battle and they're going to be victorious. But he won't go without her. He won't go without her. And she says, well, okay, we can do that. We can do it your way. But I'm just telling you, it could have been your day. You could have been a, a kingdom impacting general today. And that the glory is not going to go to you. But yes, I will go with you. So they go and God has a victory. The passage continues. But I just want to stop for a minute and think about elements that demonstrate a striking faith has been awakened in this woman. Number one, they do all that Deborah tells them to do. This is a girl who sits out under a tree and helps people with their problems. And they do everything militarily that she tells them to do. Deborah doesn't try to be a hero. I think that's also important to know. She doesn't need to be the general. 
She wasn't even going to go. This is not her party. This is not her moment of glory. She didn't need to be in the front. She had a role. She was secure in who God called her to be. She knows what God has called her to do. But when asked, she stepped up and went out. This man, Barak, trusts this woman's ability to hear from God enough to do everything she says exactly and only as she says. She's a smart girl who sits under a tree working out people's problems for them. She doesn't have a resume loaded with military accolades. She's not a general, but she listens to God and he speaks to her. That is the power of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 10,000 men on foot against 900 chariots is still really bad odds, but Barak was able to talk 10,000 men into following him and this girl. Why? Because this girl had that kind of influence and she told them to do it. That is the kind of striking faith God awakens in those people that will allow it to happen. So she doesn't get the glory in the story. It goes to another woman. You can finish reading it in the end of chapter four. And then in chapter five, she gives him complete glory. Now, how does this story relate to us today? I think it tells us exactly how God awaken striking faith. From my own story, suffice it to say, I understand what it can be like to sit in a boat on top of the ocean along with my friends and those around you. And notice, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, those people over there, they're taking on a lot of water and I could see that coming. And those over there, they're, they're starting to put some water in their boat and I wasn't really ready for that. But I don't know. This stuff doesn't look like it's working and they're starting to sink and decide, I think I need to try something else because I want to keep my boat on top of the water and recognizing that this is not working and begin to listen. That's totally my story. I just decided to do something else and start listening to God and he began to speak over my life. I don't know. The word doesn't tell us that this is what Deborah did. Maybe she looked around at all the brokenness, that perpetual cycle of destruction and the cost of choosing your own way, accepting the reality that man was fallen by nature and decided, I think I'm going to try something else that's been known to work in the past and I'm going to call on the name of the Lord. She decided to live in her circumstances, but choose a different path in our language to live in the world but not of it. And then she just simply started listening to God. These are what I would call tremors of the Holy Spirit in New Testament Christianity. God drawing us to himself for kingdom purposes. What you need to know is that you are worth pursuing. God creating uncomfortable sensations inside of you. When you look out into that ocean and see all that it offers, you get this internal sense of rumblings, uh, that sort of scream, this is not for you. You do not want that. Can you see being on top in a dry boat is better? Be in it, not of it. Those sort of things, those callings that are going on inside of you, that is the Holy Spirit. And when you sense a tremor like that, I'm just calling it a tremor, respond to it. God is not simply interested in keeping you from drowning. I think that is a mistake we make all the time. God is not simply interested in keeping us from drowning. He is in the business of awakening, striking faith to enable you and I to do things we could never do without him, to become people we never thought we could become and grow in ways no one in our high schools would ever believe we really are. It matters not how old you are or your walk of life. I have this dear friend who embodies exactly what I'm talking about today. 
She recently lost her spouse. This this is an amazing woman who has a history of this type of faith I'm talking about. But currently, it just doesn't quit. She doesn't quit. She decided she needed to resign because she lost her spouse. She decided she needed to resign from some boards that she was serving on and two major local service organizations she headed that probably each have about $20,000 budgets per year so she could slow down a bit. Now, that's not all she does, just what she was going to give up. My friend just turned 81. (laughs) But I think she just sort of got restless from the void and she discovered the work of a local pregnancy center and began serving with them. And she talked extensively the other day how God was moving there and how one area was kind of a mess and that's where she jumped in and all of her new involvement in there. And let me just tell you, only death will put a striking faith like that to rest. And that's what I'm after. Only death is going to put a striking faith like that to rest. May we be attentive to the tremors from the Holy Spirit. May God awaken striking faith in us all. And as you go out today, remember, God chooses to speak to ordinary girls, regardless of your age, regardless of your size, your circumstances, whatever, and turn them into fearless, influential kingdom leaders. And God chooses to transform ordinary boys, regardless of age, status, or stature into bold, impactful kingdom generals. Do you want to make a difference with your life? Or do you want to fill your boat with water one scoop at a time, sinking into sameness with the rest of your friends and colleagues? Let's choose something different today. God is ready to use those willing to listen, to live differently, and act for His glory. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing our resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.